0: You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are really glad that you're here. Didn't the band sound amazing today? And, and by the way, you guys sounded amazing, and it was, you don't realize, you guys were singing so loud, because you were thinking, the band sounds so good. The thing is, the band sounds this good every week. The difference is, you slept one extra hour, and it's totally changed your perspective on life. You know what would change your life every week at church? If you went to bed one hour earlier. It's all it would take. But like, man, this church is anointed. All it took was 60 minutes extra of sleep. to change your whole perspective. All right, I'm done being your mom. But so let me, uh, let me start with this. Uh, and if I can get a show of hands, if you don't mind. You ever been to Disney World on a week where they're doing one of those marathon races? You know what I'm talking about? You ever been to Disney World? Okay, I'm the only one apparently. Just one, okay, one family in the back. Thank you very Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. I don't know if that was real or just sympathy, but I appreciate it. But... Uh, it's a real treat if you ever have because you, can, you know who are the people who have run in these races because they're all walking around with their medals on. They all have the medals because what's the point in running a race if you can't brag about it? And I, and I remember, and I say that because the last time I went uh, when they were doing a race, probably about four years ago, and um, every, we, were, we, were riding, we were in the little monorail and so we're sitting in there and these people come in And every time I saw someone that had one of the medals, I felt compelled to tell them that the year before, I had run the Star Wars 10K. I was like, hey, you ran the race? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, last year I ran the Star Wars 10K. They're like, okay, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, 6.2 miles, by the way. They're like, well, I I ran a full marathon. Like, whatever, man. I ran 6.2 miles. And then sometimes they'd say, oh, that's nice. Um, uh, What was your time? I was like, whoa. It's a little personal, don't you think? We just met. <laughs> You're asking me a lot of, uh, anyway, it's weird. So, uh, but it was about, I guess was about five years ago now, I ran, I ran the, five, the Star Wars 5K with my oldest daughter, Mia, and my son, Xander, and my niece, Sarah, uh, the four of us. We ran the 5K, and that was a ton of fun running with the kids. And then uh, the next day, they did the 10K, and I ran the 10K with some folks from the Calvary staff we all ran together. I mean, we didn't actually run together, they all ran together, because they were kind of up front. You know, they, they corral people, and based on your run time. So they were all up front in like corral number two or three, and I was back in corral number like 24. And uh, I remember getting, uh, maybe you've done this if you've run a race, but I like to get into the corral, and I just kind of scope out who I'm running against. And I just like to see, you know, I mean, can I take these people, basically is what I'm looking at. And, um, and I was pretty sure, I'm like, I can run faster than pretty much all of these guys. Because I'm not a fast runner, but you put me around the elderly or the infirmed, and I'm like Usain Bolt. And so, anyway, <laughs> uh, it turns out I should not have judged them so harshly. Because there was this one guy who was 90 years old. And I know that because that's what his shirt said. And, um, and I was like, this guy, man, this guy, is, I'm, I'm not going to see this guy once I start. And I didn't see him because apparently this guy's like Speedy Gonzalez's grandfather because he was just off to the races. There was another guy, and this is not even a joke. This guy, other guy was running. He had a broken leg. I mean, like he had the, the brace, and he's he, this, six and a half, 6.2 miles, but he was doing it. He had this, like, he had this rhythm in which he was doing it. Uh, I mean, it was close but I beat him by a good 90 seconds. There was the lady that was wearing a weird backpack, which turned out to be an oxygen tank, and uh, she finished 10 minutes before me, and, uh, and I, 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 the, the Disney authorities, I called, her, I called her out, and I'm like, you shouldn't be able to um, have anything performance-enhancing. Uh, like, you shouldn't be able to get extra oxygen if you're running a race. I didn't take steroids before I came here, and, um, and they're like, well, we, we can tell, sir. And, uh, and then they asked me to leave the property. Anyway, so, <laughs> and then there was this, and then there was a girl who was dressed like a TIE fighter. And, uh, and if you don't know what a TIE fighter is, it just means we can't be friends. Uh, but it was, once again, a Star Wars race. And so all the people there were, were dressed like uh, different Star Wars characters. And so I was keeping pace with her for pretty much the whole race until we hit the six mile mark. Which apparently she had been waiting to hit the six mile mark. She just exploded with speed, um, and, and so, uh, and th- but when she just at the six when she just went for it at the six mile mark, she dropped her phone. So, so I scoop up her phone and I start trying, and I just put on my afterburners, and which by the way there's nothing left because I've been running for six miles at that point, and uh, and so I'm trying to catch her with her phone before, I get to the, before she gets to the finish line. And so she gets to the finish line, and she's going to take a picture of the finish line, but realizes that she had dropped her phone. And so then she's looking around. She starts asking people. She's had a, a couple of different conversations based on what happened, as she told me. And, so, and then I come running up a couple minutes later, even though we were only 0.2 miles apart. And I, and I just was like, oh, you dropped your phone. You know, I mean, it just, uh, and, and, you know, boy, two miles ago, I ran to catch you up. And she says, without any heavy, oh, wow, thanks so much. At no heavy breathing. Um, and, and so, and by the way, I have a picture at the finish line. Um, so this is it. That's me. Uh, that is the face of a man who is done. Like, I am over it. There's the phone that was dropped. And uh, it's like, I don't care anymore. And uh, anyway, we can take that down. I never want to see that again. And um, now, mind you, that for six miles, because I'm running by myself, because once again, all my friends have deserted me, because by the time I hit the six-mile mark, they had already gone back to their hotel, showered, changed, and they were somewhere out eating breakfast, and um, I, you know, I was just finishing. So anyway, but the whole six miles, I'm complaining about why I'm running so slow, because my shorts are too, uh, too loose, and my shirt is too tight, and, and then... Um, that's why, and I'm, a, I'm just, uh, the real reason is I'm just a terrible runner, and I just made a decision after that day. You know what? I'm just driving everywhere from now on. And, um, but you know what you find when you're all the way in the back with the mutants, uh, when you're one of them, is that you, you realize, you didn't know this, but at the end, at the very end of, of this, there, there's a golf cart that, that drives around that's just looking to pick people up who have given up. Now, I will be honest, there was a little bit of temptation. And, um, and, and so, and, and so some people, they pick up if you get hurt. I mean, some people, they, you know, pull a muscle or something. They can't run, uh, or, you know, whatever. And so they'll get picked up on the golf cart. And then there's some people that just give up. They're just like, Hey, can you pick me up? This was just all a really bad decision. I did not know what I was getting. At, and they just, they, they just, you know, they they end it there. And, um, now here's why I tell you that is because I see a lot of golf carts, uh, Picking up people who have given up on their marriages, and some for the reason that, and some of the reason that I think we we give up because we put so much effort on the start of our marriages and not a lot of thought or effort into making sure that we finish well. Uh, I have done, I don't know, I've been I've been a pastor for what about 24 years now, and I have done a lot of premarital counseling in my life. And no couple ever has ever told me, like, hey, tell me about your wedding. They're like, you know, we're just kind of winging it. See no, no one has ever told me that they're winging it for their ceremony. What I hear when I say tell me about your ceremony is the most detailed event in the history of mankind uh, that they tell me what's going to happen. And, and uh, I mean, think about this, those of you that are, that are married. Think about all the stuff that you picked out for your wedding. You picked out the venue. You picked out what flowers were most appropriate uh, to celebrate your love. You, you tasted 15 types of cake Just like, what, what tastes like our celebration? This one, you know, and, and then, um, and, and by the way, you didn't just pick out your own clothes. You picked out the clothes that all your closest friends were going to wear. And, uh, because let's talk for a minute about these bridesmaid dresses. And, uh, I, I don't know who, and I, I have all these thoughts about why bridesmaid dresses are so ugly in general. And, um, and I, I think it, it's just, uh, we just want to keep the focus on the bride. It's just like we can't have anybody look good except the bride. And, and I also think it's a test uh, as well because it's like, I love you so much. You're my best friend. Really? Wear this seafoam dress. We'll see how much you love me. <laughs> and then they're like, well, can we be frenemies instead? And, uh, and so and, and now... I am amazed at how much, you know the average wedding in America uh, is $28,000? That's the average amount that's spent. And you know, people are spending this amount of money on their wedding, but they aren't sure that their 1991 Honda Civic is going to get them home after the wedding, especially with those little cans that get tied to the back of the bumper. Now let me tell you, my wedding, we paid 1500 bucks, and that included the reception and uh and I, i'm as married as anybody else and um now i'll tell you what happened is that my wife and i we were getting married we did not have any money at all and so um carrie's parents were helping out a little bit and so they're like well we could we could probably kick in about 1500 bucks And i'm like well that's our budget and uh and so we did not have any money to feed people so we said my wife and i we said let's get married at like 10 in the morning Service will be over by 11. We'll do cake and coffee, and we'll send everybody out of there before lunch, and they can go get food on their own, and that'll be the end, and we'll do what married people do, you know? And, um, and so, which that was a great plan, except my wife showed up an hour late to the wedding. And by the way, when I say showed up an hour late, I'm saying she didn't show up ready. She just showed up an hour late. And so I was already at the front with my best man, and, and the pastor, I was, I was waiting. I, I was there at, because our wedding school started at 10. And so it's, it's like 1040. I'm still standing up at the front. I didn't know what to do. And so the pastor was like, Bob, are you sure? Was, and I didn't own a cell phone. Yeah, you know, I had my beeper, but I didn't have it on me. And, so, and, and and he's like, are you sure? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe she came to her senses. And, uh, and so, well, anyway... The service ends up starting after 11. We get done a little after 12. We walk over. The church had this fellowship hall, which is where our, uh, where our reception was. And it's about, you know, at the time, it's like 1230. People are starving. And all we have is cake and coffee. You know how people are like, oh, we saved a piece of our cake for later? Like, there was no cake left. People were eating three, four pieces of cake. There was, and they were all hopped up on caffeine because that's all we had. So they had like four pieces of cake, three, gla- three cups of coffee. And then, you know how when you leave, people throw rice when you leave? They ate the rice. There was nothing left. And so, now, <laughs> so, listen. <laughs> sorry, I made that one up earlier. And so, so listen, we spend, as a country, we spend $92 billion on weddings. We spend $8 billion on honeymoons. And listen, here's the point, is that we have, we tend to focus on the start and starting well, but not making sure we finish well. And I believe that if we gave the finish as much attention as we gave the start, we wouldn't see so many couples dropping off in the middle. Now, before you think, uh, oh man, I'm not married. This message isn't for me. uh, Realize this, 94% of people get married. So if it doesn't apply to you, statistically, it will soon enough. So uh, if you're here and you are married and things are difficult, then uh, this message really is for you because, and this is really important, is that um, if everything in your life is not going well, but you have a great marriage, you still feel like things are looking up because your marriage is your relational foundation, and conversely, if you have all the success in the world and your marriage is in shambles, then everything, no matter how good, feels like it's turning to ashes in your hands. And, and so what Jesus wants to do, he gets asked this question, and what he wants to do is give us some really practical advice uh, about marriage. So we're going to start in chapter 19 of the Gospel of Matthew in verse 1. Here's what we read. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings, that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? If you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things we're going to look at on uh, building a marriage that lasts. But the first is this, is that marriage is meant for life. That's the first thing that we're going to learn. Now, as we give you some background on this, let me just say the first thing we've got to do is understand the question. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And that's really the key any reason. Now, the reason they were asking this is because of a passage in the Old Testament. Let me read it to you in Deuteronomy chapter 24. It says, Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, another translation would say, having discovered some uncleanness in her, he writes a document of divorce hands it to her and sends her away from his house now the question is what does it mean discover something wrong or once again in the older translations discover some uncleanness what does that mean it's not totally defined and so what we have is is that the rabbis took it upon themselves to define what it meant and so the ancient rabbis basically landed in one or two, of two schools of thought in jesus day there were really there were several but there were two rabbis that were revered at the time. Uh, The first rabbi's name was Hillel. And Hillel died around 10 AD, about 20 years before Jesus started his ministry, and was very influential in his interpretations of the Torah. And by the way, continues to be influential in the Jewish community. He believed that a man could divorce his wife for any reason. Now just, you're like, yeah, but what do you mean by any reason? Let me give you a couple reasons that he gives. If a man doesn't like his wife anymore, that's one. If she cooks his eggs the wrong way, Um, if he's out and he finds a woman that is more attractive than her, he can divorce her. He would just say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, that's it. And then he'd write the certificate, here's your receipt, drive through. And so that's basically, and uh, you know, they'd have the certificate, you know, just to keep it legal, and and it was done. And once again, this is important because the Pharisees, who were the very prominent uh, religious leaders in the synagogues, they were in many ways kind of the teachers in Israel, and uh, they landed with Hillel. And now, the other thing that's important to note is that Jesus' interpretations of the Torah many times landed with Hillel. Not this time, but in many cases. And in most things, Hillel was very conservative in his, in his uh, views of Torah. The second rabbi that's important to mention is a rabbi named Shammai. Shammai, this dude, was a character. This is one of these people that I just would love to meet. Um, because... He had this belief that you should not even hint at lying under any circumstances. Now, think about how difficult that is. And uh, you ever gone to someone's house for dinner, and they serve up something that, let's be honest, it's awful. But, you know, you just, you appreciate the fact that they invited you, and you care about them. And, uh, you know, so then, then they, they just, um, you just appreciate the gesture of them trying. And so they, hey, how's, how's the food? And you're like, oh, it's wonderful. Maybe you could give me the recipe. So I can burn it. Um, and so, you know, but you don't say that. You're like, oh, it's wonderful. Thank you so much. And according to Rabbi Shammai, you can't do that because that's, that's lying. You have to tell the truth at all times. And one of, uh, one of Shammai's disciples wrote the story of one of his antics when he went to a wedding. And because if you went to a wedding and you didn't think the bride looked beautiful, you couldn't just say nothing, which, by the way, would be fine. And you definitely couldn't say, wow, you look really beautiful today, because that's just being polite. And he didn't believe in that. You, you were bound to tell her the truth. Like, hey, congratulations on your big day. And by the way, you look ugly. And uh, so this, once again, if you're like, yeah, I wonder why this guy had no friends. And um, now the Talmud, which is a, a, an ancient Jewish document, it's like a commentary on uh, the Torah, it records over 300 differences that Hillel and Shammai have. I mean, they just saw the Bible in a very different way, and uh, they differed on everything from who's allowed to study the Torah to what nights you should light the Hanukkah candles, and that's not even a joke. So, but in the midst of all of that, Shammai, this revered rabbi, said that divorce was only permissible uh, in the case of adultery, which, by the way, is what Jesus will say later. Now, I'm telling you all of this because, once again, when Jesus gives his response, I want you to know the background to which he's giving it and why these Pharisees are asking him. And the reason why they're asking is because they want to divide the crowd. There's a lot of people following Jesus, and what they're hoping is going to happen is that Jesus is going to say something controversial, and when he does, a lot of the people are going to stop following him, and the crowds will disperse, and that will be the end. But the problem that we have when we bring it to our culture is that our culture today is landing with Hillel. Uh, in many ways. I mean, we will divorce for just about any reason. And we'll just give it a fancy name. And we don't don't just say, well, I'm a student of Hillel and, you know, here's the receipt, whatever. We just say, we have irreconcilable differences. And um, I, I don't know a couple that doesn't have irreconcilable differences. And I'm talking about married couples. My wife and I have been married for 25 years and we've had irreconcilable differences since the day we got married. There's just stuff that her and I aren't going to agree on. My wife has an unnatural love of Mexican food that I will never understand. And, uh, and, and I mean, that might sound, like, this might sound like heresy to you, but I just don't really like Mexican food. And I know there was somebody in the first service, and he was like, what? I mean, he was really free. I'm like, hey, man, eat a taco and relax. <laughs> but um, this dude was he, was, he was like, he was really having, having an, an episode. And uh, I was like, hey, man, it's okay. And... Um, now, and I told her once. I, I told my wife, and I said, "You know what I think? I, I think you, you secretly regret not marrying a Mexican man, because a Mexican man brings with him a Mexican abuela that's gonna ma- bring over homemade chimichangas." And you know what her response was? She goes, yeah, "I do love chimichangas." And it's like, wow. It's like, and then you wonder, like, I wonder why Pastor Bob has low self-esteem. Here we are. So now, now listen. I know, and once again, I know that this is a, it's a silly, it's a silly illustration. And I know that some differences are, are very deep. But we have, that the, the, they're a challenge to navigate, but we've got to learn how to navigate them. Because the thing that we have to realize is that jumping ship on your marriage doesn't make it easier. In fact, the data will say just the opposite. I know that there's the famous people, you know, one out of two marriages, uh, don't make it, and that's kind of the famous stat. And it's, it's a little misleading because that's including all marriages, whether it's a first marriage, a second, third, fourth, tenth. Um, but the real stat is probably around 40 42% of first marriages don't make it, which is high enough. The real shock is that second marriages, 60% of second marriages don't make it. 75% of third marriages don't make it. And I want you to see the pattern. The pattern isn't, well, it's just the other person. No, at some point, the pattern just becomes the human heart. Now, let me tell you a different stat. This one we should probably strive for. That if a couple have a mutual faith in God... Read the Bible and pray on a daily basis. Attend church weekly and serve in their local church. The odds of them getting divorced are one in 1,015. Those are are much better stats. Thank you for the slow clap. Thank you. Now, everybody else is going to clap in just a second? No. But yours is the only one that matters. So thank you. All the rest of you all, too late. So, and you got an extra hour of sleep. Keep with it. All right? Now... (laughs) I had an extra hour, so you got to forgive me. I'm a little, and I had two shots of espresso right before this service, which aren't included in the other two shots of espresso that I had earlier today. So I'm feeling fantastic. That's (laughs) really my point. That's really my point. So (laughs) So this, but this is why we have to choose well. What we tend to do is downplay the differences going into our marriage because, you know, he's cute and we get along. And, and then those end up being the issues that really cripple a relationship later because part of it is we don't realize the commitment that we're making. And this is when, so they ask him, is it, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Look at Jesus' response in verse 4. And he says this, and he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And if you pause there and give me your attention, second thing that I want you to know, number one was that marriage is meant for life. That's part of understanding a marriage that lasts. The second thing is knowing this, that marriage is designed by God. This is not a human invention. It was designed by God And so when the Pharisees say, Jesus, we want to know what your view on divorce is, Jesus says, how about this? Um, Before I get to that, let me explain to you what my view on marriage is, because then you'll understand my view on the other thing. And his view on marriage is Genesis 2. Two people becoming one flesh. Now, to understand Jesus' view on divorce, which he's going to get to in uh, verses 8 and 9, we have to understand his view on marriage and what it means to be one flesh flesh. One flesh means lots of things. One flesh is a physical union, for sure. It's an emotional union, absolutely. It's a spiritual union, definitely. And and the view is, is, it's it's the view that two people now become one. It's like your body consists of many parts, but it's one flesh. Your body is one flesh. And the thought of saying, hey, I'm going to, this one part I don't want anymore, and I'm going to try to extricate myself from that but it doesn't work. And, and it's, it's madness to even think about it. And so uh, when my daughter Mia, my daughter Mia is 15, when she was about four, uh, she had this Disney princess action figure playset, And so all the Disney princesses were, were these little uh, action figure size. And so they had all different dresses you could put on. Well, anyway, she came to me one day. She needed help that somehow uh, Princess Ariel, uh, her head came off. And so I told her not to worry about it. I'm a doctor and I specialize in decapitations. And so I went to the kitchen and I made this operating table. I made Mia my nurse. And uh, I took these needle nose pliers and this crazy glue and uh, carefully we reattached Ariel's skull to the rest of her body. And I told, I'm like, all right, now Ariel's gonna be in recovery for some time. And uh, she needs some time to recover from her surgery and uh and so it was just and you know crazy glue is kind of messy so i had there was it was kind of everywhere and so i'm 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 dealing with that and mia's like all right dad she said she puts her hands up they're gonna give me a high five and i'm like yeah let's do that and then i couldn't because i had glued my hands together and i was like (laughs) and uh and and so and then i had to call my wife over and these are just moments in life that you just wish didn't happen like how'd it go it's good honey Uh, you think maybe you could help me um, yeah, what's up? I, I have um, glued my hands together. And uh, and then she just looks like, wow, I just, I, I had other options. And yet here we are. And so anyway, and then she puts like some kind of chemical that, that kind of, e- and even when, even the thing tries to get it off, it doesn't totally get it off. Like there's still... Skin from this hand that ends up on this hand and skin from this hand that ends up on this hand because it doesn't always get apart. This is the same thing that happens when we try to take something that God makes one and make it two again. It just, it doesn't work. And you, you do this, right? If you take two pieces of paper and glue them together, for all intents and purposes, once that glue dries, they are one piece of paper and it is next to impossible to disentangle them. And the reason being is that, and this is why when, when this is one of the reasons why divorce is so painful, is because there's two pieces of paper that are tr- one piece of paper that's trying to become two again, and now there's pieces of this one that end up on this one, and there's pieces of this one that end up on on, on this one, and this is what happens. And so and, and so Jesus answers the question by saying A divorce was never God's design. He said, like, well, Moses commanded. No, that was never God's design. You go back to the very beginning. God's design from the very beginning was two people loving each other for their entire lives. And that was and continues to be God's design for marriage. And he says, so what God has joined together, don't let man separate. And that's really the thing that he's saying that's really important to them is if you believe that God puts people together when they make this commitment together, then why are you even thinking about trying to figure out your legal way to try to separate the two? When two believers, when two followers of Jesus get married, God is joining them. So he's saying, don't look for reasons to separate because it goes against God's design. And he calls them out for having the attitude of saying that any old reason is good enough for divorce. Well, that rubs them really the wrong way. And they start pressing the issue. Look what happens in verse seven. He says this, and they said to him, Well, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now, this is the part in our program where the room gets very quiet, so... And let me, explain, let me explain why. There's a little bit of wordplay here that's important to understand. They say, Moses commanded us. Moses commanded us to give a certificate of divorce. And he says, no, Moses permitted it because of the hardness of your hearts. Now, there's a couple of different words that are used in the Greek language for divorce. One of them, funny enough, is uh, this Greek word that is pronounced chorizo. And, um, and I know it's just, and I don't know why it's just, that's the Greek word. It's also the Spanish word for sausage. Um, but anyway, so if you and I were living in that culture, we'd go to the deli in Israel and ask for chorizo, the girl behind the counter would be like, chorizo, we're not even married. And uh, so, but either way, chorizo is not a kosher word. And so thank you for getting that first service. There's one guy over here. He was the only person who got it. And uh, I appreciate you guys, re- you made up for the clap thing. All right. You guys did great. You did great. This side of the room, you did not do great. This side, you killing it, killing it. These guys, wake up. All right. Let's do this. Finish strong. All right. So, but once again, chorizo, not a kosher word, because when God puts two people together, he's making them one flesh. In fact, you see this, there's this little passage in the book of Genesis where when God is giving this genealogy of everybody from Adam all the way to Noah, and he says this, uh, this is written, it says, Male and female he created them and blessed them and called their name Adam. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say called their name Adam and Eve. He recognized that when they were married, they were two but had become one. And listen, so Jesus is telling the Pharisees that he agrees with Shemai that the only legitimate reason for divorce is sexual immorality. And then he starts pressing them a little bit further because they're thinking like, well, maybe there's some different interpretation on that. And he says, you know, if you divorce your wife for any reason, because that's what you want to do, and then you go and marry someone else, guess what? You're committing adultery and none of us are confused as to what that command is about. And that's why he brings up the underlying reason that people seek divorce and that is the hardness of their hearts. Listen, marriage is hard. Marriage is hard even when the godliest people are together and um, there's still challenges because it's just the way it is because guess what you married a sinner and so did your spouse and and that's just the reality is is that people aren't perfect and when but when you decide that you're gonna celebrate your differences not endure them or just ignore them but you're gonna celebrate your differences and tust, trust God through difficult times I'm telling you there is so much joy to be had um, as I said earlier, my wife and I have been married for 25 years, and generally speaking, we are—we um, don't agree on everything, but there's a lot of we—we we tend to agree on the most important things, I, I, I believe. Well, one night uh, we had been we had been out of town uh, with our family, and then we came home. We un-unpacked the suitcases, we got the kids to bed. By that time, I mean, we were just wiped out, but we had decided because we had DVR to show this was before streaming services. It's like right after the invention of electricity, and so. But we had DVR'd this show and we're like, hey, let's watch the show before we go to bed. So we start watching the show and my wife falls asleep in the middle of it. She woke up when the show ended and I said, hey, I'll save the show and we can watch it again tomorrow. She says, no, just go ahead and delete it. So I deleted it. And then the next morning I mentioned the show and how she fell asleep. She's like, oh, great. I look forward to watching it tonight. What? I'm like, you, you told me to delete the show last night. She's like, yeah, but I was half asleep, and you're not going to listen to me when I'm half asleep. And I'm like, well, uh, interesting thing. Uh, I thought you were serious, and so I deleted it. And she says, well, Bob, why, why would you delete it? I was not in a mental state to make that decision. And I said, care, this is very difficult for me because there are times you ask me to do things and you want me to do them. And then there's other times you ask me to do things and you don't want your wishes carried out, how am I supposed to know which is which? And she says, how about not asking me what my wishes are when I'm half asleep? The best part of this whole story is that night I turned on the TV, I forgot to delete the thing in the first place. <laughs> and so... <laughs> that's a true story, by the way. And, uh, and the point is... Listen, people, you are just bound to disagree. And even people who deeply love each other are going to disagree. And, and listen, some of us are looking at our spouse from the perspective of we're just too different. There's no way it can work. I'm telling you, it can. But it takes work for it to work out. And, and the point that Jesus is getting at when, when they ask Jesus about divorce and he starts talking about one flesh, he's like, that's the goal. The goal is to become one for their whole lives. That's it. And in typical rabbinic fashion, when they're like, should we divorce our wife for any reason? Jesus, in typical rabbinic fashion, answers the question with a question. They say, can we divorce for any reason? And he says, didn't God create the male and female? And then put them together to become one. So why are you trying to undo the work of God? Listen, one flesh doesn't happen if we've got one eye on the door when things get tough. Couples need to make a commitment to each other that we are going to we're not just going to start well, we're going to finish well. Most couples know how to start well. The big wedding and the party and if you got enough money you can start big and bold and that's fine. But listen, we need commitment to finish well. You can't become one flesh if you're thinking about how you're going to pull this thing apart if it gets difficult. It takes two people who are willing to do whatever it takes to make it work and when you do you're going to find more joy than you believe possible. Well, the only people who really get it are the disciples, and which is kind of shocking because they're kind of the only ones who don't get it a lot of times. But these guys, they really get it. And you can see in verse 10, look at, look at what they say. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. They're like, if this is how serious this commitment is, Maybe we just avoid this whole institution altogether. And here's what Jesus says. All cannot accept this saying, but only to those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there were eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who was able to accept it, let him accept it. Last thing I want to tell you and, and then we're done, and that is that marriage is bound by commitment. Once again, the disciples are the ones who get it because they realize how serious this is. They're like, with, with such high standards, maybe it's a good idea not to marry. And Jesus acknowledges that, and he says, hey, not everybody can accept this saying. That is, not everybody has this gift of celibacy that they don't feel the need or desire to get married. He also acknowledges in that culture that some have this, um, this, uh, uh, this them becoming a eunuch that is ca- uh, put on them. And once again, kings um, in that culture would castrate men that oversaw their harems so that there wouldn't be uh, any temptation for them. And and so he's acknowledging, hey, there are some that are made eunuchs by men, and then there are some that are made eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, if you were with us in our series uh, last year in first corinthians we talked about this gift in uh, first corinthians chapter 12 there is a gift of celibacy that there are people who just don't feel the need to get married they don't have that desire and they want to devote themselves to service to the lord and the point jesus is making is he affirms those who have that gift and agrees with the disciples that marriage is not something that should be entered into lightly listen outside of following jesus deciding who you marry is the most important decision you will make in your life. So find someone who sees marriage as an opportunity to serve. And when you both see marriage as not a place where I'm going to get everything I want out of marriage, but instead this is the place where I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to make myself second. And the other person is trying to make themselves second. So it becomes this race to the back of the line. I'm, I'm telling you, you will find unspeakable joy. And, um, it was my wife's birthday on Friday. And uh, we, we, not surprisingly, we went to Mexican uh, for lunch. <laughs> and I suggested it, too. And I'm like, you sure you want to go? We can go. Be awesome. And I, I just, I made this decision that I am not just going to eat Mexican food. I'm going to eat Mexican food with a good attitude. And she's like, well, are you okay? I'm like, let's go. It's going to be awesome. And it's just, and as silly as it is, it becomes my, oppor- my opportunity to serve her, to do something that she loves, and, uh, and for me to do it with a good attitude. And, and listen, but what happens if we just start finding opportunities to do that? You know, if, if, if I can um, maybe push a little bit. I think a lot of couples, some of the challenge that couples have, and they would never say this, but a lot of couples think, um, one person looks at the other and like, man, that this person, my spouse, they got such a good deal when they married me. Like, seriously, I'm just, I'm not perfect, but man, am I close. And uh, now, once again, we don't say that because we're not total narcissists, but a lot of times, that's what we think because we're looking at our marriage as to what we can get out of it and it's like, look, I married you. That should, you should be happy with that. Now we're just going to do all the things I want. And so so you're so lucky to be able to come along for my ride. You know, I mean, it's, it's madness. And it's one of the reasons why one of the reasons why couples struggle. And if we will change that attitude to instead of th- thinking, man, my spouse, wow, they they they're, they're doing so well because they got me. If instead of that, we will wake up in the morning next to our spouse thinking that we won the lottery, I'm telling you, things will change in our in our relationship because We aren't going to be happy in our marriages until we figure out that being happy is not the goal of marriage. Uh, It was one author who said that the goal of marriage is not to make you happy. The goal of marriage is to make you holy. And it's the place, marriage is the place where God wants to change you. And of course that's difficult. Of course it feels grating at times. The person you're married to, God is using them like a sander in your life. And some of them, it's like a motorized sander. It's like, you know, it's like a sandblast. And, and, and smoothing out our rough edges. And so, but we will not be able to find the joy that God has for us um, uh, uh, until we get rid of the escape hatch and embrace that this is a commitment that we've made for life. And if we've embraced it as a commitment for life, we will do whatever it takes. And by the way, the, and, this, this, and then, the, the, you know, someone will always, because people like to bring up the most extreme example well, what about if it's an abusive relationship? Well, you shouldn't stay in a situation where you feel like your safety is at risk. But. That's not most marriages. A lot of marriages simply have embraced the philosophy of Hillel, which is that um, anything goes if we're not feeling it anymore. My encouragement to you is if you're struggling, get help. If you want to throw in the towel, get help. Here's why. Because marriage is hard, but I can promise you that divorce is harder. Because the best thing that you can do for your marriage is make a decision to serve one another. And And it doesn't have to be these big grandiose things. I'm telling you, you can do simple things and it'll begin to change your relationship. And and I'll tell you a silly thing that, that I, that I did is, um, last year, my wife and I were in Naples for a couple of days, just the two of us. And I got this, um, hotel that was right by the beach. And so we were able to walk from the hotel to the beach in, in Naples, which that sounds really nice, uh, for most people. I happen to hate the beach. Um, and so I just think that if they, I would like the beach, if they would just keep paving all the way up to the water, I would be there. I mean, it's just awesome, right? Just take that sidewalk right up to the water, but they don't do that because apparently that's bad. And, because uh, I just, I hate sand. I'm a lot like Anakin Skywalker in that way. You know, like he said in Attack of the Clones, I don't like sand. It's coarse, it's rough, it's irritating, and it gets everywhere. Direct quote. And, um, but I get there. And, and my wife loves the beach. I mean, she just thinks the beach is the greatest thing. If I could find a Mexican restaurant on the beach, I mean, that would be, that would be the convergence of everything. I mean, I, I think, there, I think there, something would happen to the space-time continuum. And so, so we go to the beach, and we're walking. And you know how people, they like, take their shoes off, and they roll up their pants. And I did that. I looked like a complete idiot. And, um, and so I'm holding my shoes and I'm holding her hands. And then my wife is giving me a science lesson about every creature that lives on the beach. And it just, and she's so smart. And, uh, and I was just listening to her. And I was thinking to myself as she's saying all of this. And I'm like, dude, I should have paid attention in high school. And, um, and, 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 and I'm telling you that I just want to be with her. And I just don't care where we are. And maybe if you start doing the things that you don't like, but you start doing the things you don't like with a good attitude, it it starts expressing love in a different way. C.S. Lewis, uh, the author, who many of you know from the Chronicles of Narnia books or the movies, uh, most of uh, Lewis's books are books about different aspects of the Christian life. And um, one of my favorite, if not my favorite book ever, is um, a book that I had to read when I was getting my undergrad in theology, it was a book called Mere Christianity. And, um, but he wrote a book called The Four Loves. And in the book, he describes the four types of human love, affection, friendship, erotic love, and then the final chapter is on the love of God. And in the first part of the book, he says, if I were to paint a picture of erotic love, it would be a picture of two people standing, uh, two people looking at each other. And he says, but if I drew a picture of friendship, it would be two people standing next to each other looking at something else. To become one flesh, you can't be looking at your spouse to meet all of your needs. And here's the reason why, because they can't. Um, I can't meet all of my wife's needs and she can't meet all of mine, but that's not what marriage was designed to do. Because God is the only one who can meet all of my needs. And when I take all of the expectations off of my wife to be my everything, And when she takes all the expectations off of me, something wonderful happens. That instead of looking at each other for everything, we stand side by side as best friends, looking to God who is the only one who can meet all of our needs. And when we realize that this was God's purpose for bringing us together in the first place, not to meet all of our needs. The purpose for God bringing your spouse into your life was not so that this person could meet all of your needs so that this person could be your closest friend, could be your covenant partner, and as we lead each other to God, we take steps together towards God, and we become one flesh, and the joy becomes unspeakable. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that promise that we would have a joy that's overflowing. That's what your word says. It says to rejoice in the wife of your youth. So I pray that we would, that we would rejoice in our relationships, that we would rejoice in knowing that you've brought us together and that we would experience everything that you have for us, knowing that you're the one that's going to meet all of our needs, you're the one that's going to transform us, and you really are going to use our spouse to make us more like your son. So God, I pray for every marriage that's represented here, present and future, and I pray, God, that you would do a deep work in each of us. We prayed in Jesus' name and everybody said, Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast God bless you